right, y'all, we're on the ninth chapter of Hebrews. We're almost done with Hebrews that quick. Pressing on, reading on the Amplified Version. The heading for this is the old and the new. The old and the new. Let's go. <sighs> Come on, Vominos. Everybody, let's go. Come on, let's get to it. I know that you can do it. Where are we going? Revelation. Where are we going? Revelation. Now even the first covenant had regulations for divine worship and for the earthly sanctuary, a tabernacle, sacred tent was put up. The outer one or its first section in which were the lampstand and the table with its loaves of the sacred showbread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was another tabernacle, the inner one or second section known as the holy of holies. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered entirely with gold. This contained a golden jar which held the manna and the rod of Aaron that sprouted and the two stone tablets, <laughs> the rod of Aaron. And the two stone tablets of the covenant inscribed with the Ten Commandments, and above the ark were the golden cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. There's a note that says it was the lid of the ark where blood was sprinkled by the high priest when they would sacrifice the animals. The mercy seat. But we cannot now go into detail about these things. It's interesting. There's a there's a tattoo shop downtown. I think it's on Grand, and it's called the Mercy Seat. <laughs> uh, verse six. Now, when these things, not saying I've ever been there, I've seen it multiple times when I'm driving downtown. Now, when these things have been prepared in this way, the priests continually enter the outer or first section of the tabernacle, that is, the holy place, performing their ritual acts of the divine worship, but into the second inner tab tabernacle, the holy of holies, only the high priest enters, and then only once a year, and never without bringing a sacrifice of blood, which he offers as a substitutionary atonement for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Once again... Remember when I've talked about earlier, sin, there's these sins of omission. So even if you think you're like the most righteous person in the world, and you want to, as soon as you're tempted to pat yourself on the back, there's these sins of omission that we commit, a lot of us commit. And they even those had to be atoned for. And only Jesus was the perfect atonement for that. Ah, uh, yeah. These were sins of the people committed in ignorance. Verse 8, by this, the Holy Spirit signifies that the way into the holy place, the true holy of holies in the presence of God has not yet been disclosed as long as the first or outer tabernacle is still standing. That is, as long as the Levitical system of worship remains a recognized institution, basically killing animals, sacrificing animals. 
There's a little note here. It says, during the age of the old covenant, a worshiper had no direct access to God. Now we do. Now, as soon as you accept Jesus in your heart, you have direct access. Direct access to God through Jesus. For this, that's why we end all our prayers. At least I do. I've been taught that you say it with every prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I like to say in Jesus' mighty, precious name. Amen. It's kind of like our stamp. <laughs> or if you want to pray in tongues, it's direct communication to God. All right, for this first or other outer tabernacle is a symbol, that is, an archetype or a paradigm for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which are incapable of perfecting the conscience and renewing the inner self of the worshiper. Mm, interesting. They were doing day in, yeah, every week. They were constantly doing these sacrifices, but it never renewed, perfected their conscience or renewed their inner self. They had to keep doing these sacrifices. For they, the gifts, it says, accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which are incapable of perfect perfecting the conscience and renewing the inner self of the worshiper. Verse 10, for they, the gifts, sacrifices, and ceremonies deal only with clean and unclean food and drink and various ritual watching, washings, mere external regulations for the body imposed to help the worshipers until the time of reformation. That is the time of the new order when Christ will establish the reality of what these things foreshadow, a better covenant. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, that is true spiritual worship, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not a part of this material creation. He went once for all into the holy place, the holy of holies of heaven, into the presence of God and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, having obtained and secured eternal redemption, that is, the salvation of all who personally believe in him as Savior. For if the sprinkling of ceremonially defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the cleansing of the body, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Holy Spirit willingly offered himself unblemished, that is, without moral or spiritual imperfection, as a sacrifice to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works and lifeless observances to serve the ever-living God. Wow. Verse 15, for this reason, he is the mediator and negotiator of a new covenant that is, I like that, the mediator and negotiator. An entirely a mediator and negotiator of a new covenant that is an entirely new agreement uniting God and man so that those who have been called by God may receive the fulfillment of the promised eternal inheritance since a death has taken place as the payment which redeems them from the sins committed under the obsolete first covenant. For where there is a will and testament involved, the death and of the one who made it must be established. For a will and testament takes effect only at death, since it is never in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And so we get like revo revocable and irrevocable trust. 
your trust becomes irrevocable once the person passes away. When a person is alive, it's a revocable trust. I mean, it could be revoked, it can be changed. I learned that through working at the bank. Uh, I had to deal with a few different customers that had some trust stuff. Very interesting times. So even the first covenant was not put in force without the shedding of blood. For when every commandment in the law had been read by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats, which had been sacrificed together with water and scarlet wool and with a bunch of hyssop. And he sprinkled both the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that seals and ratifies the agreement which God ordained and commanded me to deliver to you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the containers, sacred utensils, the containers and sacred utensils of worship with the blood. In fact, under the law, almost everything is cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, neither release from sin and its guilt, nor cancellation of the merited punishment. Therefore, it was necessary for the earthly copies of the heavenly things to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves require far better sacrifices than these. Mm. For Christ did not enter into a holy place with, made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven himself now to appear in the very presence of God on our behalf. Nor did he enter into the heavenly sanctuary to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer over and over since the foundation of the world. But now, once for all, at the consummation of the ages, he has appeared and has and been publicly manifested to put away sin by sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed and destined for all men to die once and after this comes certain judgment, so Christ, having been offered once and once and for all to bear as a burden the sins of many, will appear a second time when he returns to earth, not to deal with sin, but to bring salvation to those who are eagerly and confidently, confidently awaiting for him. I think that's one of the key determinants to know if you're really saved. Or yeah, not just... I guess you could put this on the side of once and saved, always saved. Like, can someone lose their salvation? It's like, this is like the simple question. Are you eagerly and confidently waiting for Jesus's return? Because that that's like if you are eagerly and confidently awaiting the Christ's return, the assumption is you have at least somewhat of a relationship with Him, and yeah. I don't know. There's so much I don't know about the Bible. There's so much I know about the Bible, but so much I don't know. Some of so much of it is still a mystery to me. What was that phrase we had earlier where it said he is the negotiator and mediator? I love that mediator and negotiator. I use that as my title. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned or missed the mark or veered off the path 
and falling short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will, not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God, and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody or everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. Amen.